0: Good afternoon and thank you once again for joining me. Julian Campbell here. We've got another interesting show lined up for you this week, a bit later in the program. Have a look at one of our Harvard Business Review tips, or a couple, one of them will be ask customers to commit a little at a time. We're also talking with Christina with from Ideation at Work. We're going to look at artificial intelligence and some of the ethics that that might bring up. But right now we're going to have a chat with Kylie Smiley from Mobile Marketing Link. Good afternoon, Kylie.
1: Good afternoon, Julian. Thanks for having me on. It's
0: been a while since we've had a chat on the radio, is not it? It has. I can't
1: believe
0: it's nearly. It's almost Christmas. It's almost Christmas, yes. That's right. Only, only about seven weeks, I think, isn't it? Oh, goodness.
1: I don't want to even think about it at
0: the moment. <laughs> <laughs> Customer loyalty programs. So, why. Have one. Well, why? Having one makes a sense for small businesses. Is what we're going to talk about. So, firstly, I suppose, how can a small business encourage customer loyalty?
1: Yeah. Well, look, loyalty is um, it's something that you know some people sort of think, oh, you know, that all just sounds very difficult. Um, business owners uh, struggle with it sometimes but those who do take it up and especially with Christmas and the new year getting closer, no matter what business you have, it's a fantastic opportunity to introduce a new loyalty program. Um, businesses, you know, these days are, are really um, they are missing out on, on repeat business if they don't have one Then we'll go further into the stats a bit later but getting the right program for you, your staff and your customers is really important. Um, Some things to consider would be, you know, how long has has the loyalty program been running? How many businesses um, and customers use it? How long are you obligated to redeem the rewards? And is it quick and easy to sign up for customers? Do staff really understand how to use it? Because often it's a communication issue um, when uh, people, business owners, feel that loyalty programs may not work for them or they try them for a little while and they just get disheartened. Mm. But I tell you, if you persist, it can be phenomenal, especially when you get through Christmas and if you're a business that um, has ebbs and flows, when when you have those down times, then this can be a saving grace because it's a really easy way to get back in touch.
0: Yeah, we made that comment. I, I sometimes wonder to do do loyalty programs work? And I suppose the question is, what do researchers say about loyalty programs in Australia?
1: Well, it's incredible, actually. It's a recent market study... And Choice has done this as well. They said here early in the year they found that 82% of Australians over the age of 18 were, were enrolled in at least one loyalty program, with uh, 3.9 the average number of memberships held, up from 3.8 last year. So it's a, it's a steady increase, uh, and many you know. Uh, I was looking at a book by Frederick uh, Rockheld, the author of The Loyalty Effect and Loyalty Rules, and he said a 5% increase in customer retention yields a 75% increase in customer net present value. Mm -hmm. So in short, repeat, Customers represent great value to your business and boosting your customer retention by just a tiny little bit can have a huge positive impact. So um, the the statisticians are are really sort of encouraging people to get on board with this sort of thing because it is something that customers seem to want. Uh, It's not 100% of customers want it, but it's growing.
0: So. So, so you mentioned a couple of the benefits. What are the, what are the main yep. benefits of a of a customer loyalty program?
1: Okay, so the main benefits really are looking at some, uh, the the business having the contact details, which allow them to send out promotions with the clients or customers' permission. Mm. Also, it keeps their business top of mind um, in a very crowded, busy. Uh, world that we now live, it's very easy to, to forget businesses that you've been to unless they're in eyesight or or you're reminded of them somehow. So it makes your customer feel special and appreciated. So many businesses are, you know, unfortunately, many businesses fail there. Many Many do well, but many do fail. And this is an easy way you can automate that type of Um, relationship build. Customers are more inclined to return to the business as well when they are rewarded and gifted uh, and appreciated. And customers will refer and recommend your business to others when they receive high value. So that can come in all sorts of ways, their neighbour, online, social media, uh, mobile. They can communicate so many different ways now. So if you treat them right and give them lots of kudos and rewards and happiness when they either come in or prior to um, and uh, they're collecting those sorts of points quite often and getting rewarded more often, then they're just going to be absolutely in love with your business. So that just promotes all sorts of things from there.
0: So there's lots of different types of uh, loyalty programs. How will we determine what's the best for our business?
1: Okay, so yeah, it's like a minefield out there. Uh, I do see... Uh, many um businesses like in, in the hospitality industry cafes etc still going down the road of the hard cop the hard um cardboard and plastic cards stamp yeah. cards and things like that and they're okay depending on your customer base uh stats are now showing that those loyalty cards just aren't they're not doing anything uh, really beneficial Mm. for the business owner. Not to mention, you you can't collect data. There's no information exchange. So um, there's no way of getting back in contact with them. You are just, you know, as I say, many business owners are living on hopium and they're just hoping that people come back and they might find it you know, spill out of their wallet or something. Mm. <laughs> I don't know, but that's uh, very rare to happen. So there are so many, you know, they are some really good programs that are mobile based. So, you know, these days we've got, most people have a mobile phone and that's what they're looking at 99% of the time almost, mm. um, depending on your, your demographic. But but why shouldn't your business be right there where their eyes are? Yeah. And that's, that's the whole point of this as well is to be able to, you know, get them on board to receive your um, messages or an app or, some, you know, things through an app, rewards through an app. And, um, and even, even as far as them walking past a the business these days, you can have the app automatically notify, send a notification and remind them that, hey, you, you know, you can score another two points if you come in in the next 15 minutes knowing that you've just walked past. Okay. So there's all sorts of things like that that um, that can cover all different types of businesses as well. But it really has to be a good fit for you, your staff, and your clients. And many business owners, they, you know, they've got a, what I'm trying to encourage them is to get their staff vested, get their staff really vested right. in it, because they're in front of the client.
0: Yeah. Okay. So, you know. Well, fantastic. Well, thanks for all that information. And uh, you're welcome. We'll have a chat with you again another time.
1: Lovely. I look forward to it. Thanks, Kylie. Bye-bye.
0: Thanks, Julian. Bye-bye. Kylie Smiley there from Mobile Marketing Link. Yeah. Uh, Referral customers or repeat customers are really the people we need to keep coming back. That's the backbone of our business. And uh, certainly rewarding them is a great way of doing that. You're listening to Business, the Law and You on 2NURFM 103.7. It's 22 minutes past one. Time to pop over to Christina from Ideation Network to have a chat. Good afternoon, Christina.
2: Good afternoon, Julian. How
0: are you today? I'm very well, and we're going to talk about artificial intelligence. We see it uh, creeping into our lives more and more, motor vehicles and manufacturing and so forth. So uh, you're going to talk about a few changes or new ideas coming out.
2: Yeah, so um, I've just finished reading, right this almost last five minutes, um, that Uber have actually, uh, they bought a start-up called Otto a little while ago, and they've just done their first truck delivery, so they've delivered 50,000 beers um, 120 miles across the state uh, in an autonomous vehicle, in an autonomous truck, so... Again, you know, the the whole effect that that's going to have on the workforce, et cetera, But that's not what I told you that we were going to talk about. What we're <laughs> actually going to talk about, um, but that kind of leads into yeah. um, the whole idea about artificial intelligence because you can look at a driverless vehicle as a form of artificial intelligence anyway. So we were discussing earlier about Sophia and how she has, 64 facial expressions, and at the moment, Sophia can have a 10-minute conversation with you. Um, that's not pre-programmed, so she has this um, this innate sense within the robotic function that is able to respond to your questions, etc. What some of the latest research suggests is that artificial intelligence, in 16 years' time, so it's not that far away, will be able to read mind. So, can you imagine what that actually oh. does? An artificial intelligence that can read your mind. Um, which isn't that far away. And then I think we've mentioned on the show before that by the end of the century, they're suggesting that we'll have artificial intelligence whose brain capacity is a trillion times that of the human brain. Mm. And so I I facilitate a a business course out at the university and we spend a lot of time discussing ethics. Yeah. And I was thinking this morning about, you know, where do we ethically stand with all of this? Where do we ethically stand with an artificial intelligence that can read our minds? Where do we... Stand with an artificial intelligence that has a brain capacity a trillion times that of our own, where do we stand actually spending money and doing research on this type um, of, of artificial intelligence when we still have so many people who are unfed, unclothed, uneducated around the world? So exactly. it kind of opens up a whole ethical debate. And I think we've actually mentioned on the show, um, on the radio show a little, a little while ago. We 're spending all this money um, you know trying to figure out how we 're going to put um, people on Mars and yet we haven 't actually fixed the problems that we have here on earth yet so mm-hmm. interesting ethical questions um, that potentially I would really like your your listeners to have a think about where do we if we are in control and if as Tom Kelly says we 'll be at our best when humanity and technology meet uh, and we 're solving world problems where do we stand ethically on putting a robot on Mars? Where do we stand ethically with creating something like Sophia who has 64 facial expressions already and can have a conversation or on an artificial intelligence that can read our mind? Why would we want an artificial intelligence to be able to read our mind?
0: And it probably, probably, probably creates other issues too, like uh, you know, the hot, terrible accident that happened at Dreamworld. Um, yeah. You know, if, if all the artificial intelligence is in charge, Whose uh, whose who's fault is it? And uh, and also uh, the truck that you just talked about that's uh, doing away with a lot of jobs. So we you know we always had that discussion when robots first came into factories. Uh, what happens to all the employees? And where's all the jobs gone?
2: They do say that, and and if we look back in history, it's true. Um, as as jobs are uh, taken away, there are new jobs new created. created
0: yeah, well.
2: that's right. So so it's not it's not even so much. Um, where the jobs are, although that is a real concern, but that, that's qu- kind of a, a, different, um, a different debate, different discussion. Sure, sure. Where do we actually sit with an artificial intelligence and where do we sit with spending all this money on artificial mm. intelligence that can read our mind? And what does that actually mean? What does it mean for... And there's always, like, you know how we always talk about the good and the, the bad side. The good side is somebody who potentially has no capacity to speak, has no capacity um, to communicate. Yeah. The reading of the mind, you know, may overcome that. However, I actually think that by the time we get to the artificial, artificial intelligence that can read minds, we're actually solving the problem beforehand sure. um, of, of, you know, paraplegia, quadriplegia, muteness, et cetera. So where do we sit ethically with... Having all this technology, but not going back to basics and solving basic, basic problems. problems.
1: First. Yeah.
2: Now or, or do we say, you know, let's we travel in parallel parallel lines? We need to be moving forward and considering all all these Everything. things as well as how yeah. do we solve world poverty? How do we solve world education, etc.? How do we solve world crises?
0: Yeah, and not my problem. I hope.
2: <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's you know it, it's a really interesting to, ethical discussion to have over, and we know with ethics. There is no black and white answer with this. It's always a thousand shades of grey.
0: Of course, or is it fifty shades of grey?
2: Well, no. there's fifty shades <laughs> of certain stories, but <laughs> I think with this, there could be more than fifty.
0: I think you're right. It's probably a million.
2: Yeah. So you know, I mean, and we, even with Sophia, with the robots that can play golf, you know, I mean, they were they were so the robots who have now beaten beaten some of the world champions at a, at a game of golf. We've decided with robotics, or the the whole reason robotics started with um, golf was to perfect clubs, and now what we've figured out is that we can perfect the clubs, perfect the swing, and beat the champion. So Mm. where does that that stand with us? Uh, Will we go and watch at St Andrews a bunch of robots playing as easily as we will a bunch of humans, or will it be more exciting? Who knows?
0: Interesting ideas throwing up there. And thank you for your time, and uh, we'll have a chat again next week.
2: Look forward to it, Julian. I'll talk to you then.
0: Thank you. Bye-bye.
2: Bye.
0: Christina, Jerry is there with you. It's an interesting thought, isn't it? Where, where do we stand? And, of course, everybody's ethics and values are different anyway, and there's probably a million views. We've got time for a couple of our Harvard Business Review tips. This one here, ask a customer to commit a little at a time. Closing a sales deal isn't something you should do at the end of a linear process. If you wait and ask your customers to make a purchase commitment after you've been working with them for a while... They're likely to give a socially acceptable rationale such as price, which may not be the real barrier to buying. It's better to hear any objections early on when you still do something when you can still do something about it. So ask your customers to make a small incremental commitment along the way. Periodically prompt prospects to confirm that they agree with the data or objective you've cited, and then ask them if they'd be willing to act on that agreement through some small action, such as sharing the information with others in their organisation. If the person commits, you can move on. If not, you should identify the objection or barrier and deal with it. As a general rule, the earlier you identify objections, the more likely the sale will occur. That's taken from a book, To Increase Sales, Get Customers to Commit a Little at a Time. And the other one that we're going to talk about today is a, an area where people sometimes have a challenge in uh, job interviews. So this one says, when interviewing for a job, don't stick to a script. It's important to prepare for job interviews, including thinking about how you'll answer certain questions. But you don't want to stick to, cer- uh, to, your, uh, stick to your talking points. If you answer too quickly and your response is too smooth, you risk look like you're delivering a rehearsed answer rather than engaging in a genuine conversation. So after the interviewer asks a question, pause. Even if you've practiced a response, listen for and reuse a few keywords from the interviewer's question to signal that you're building on what the interviewer said. This will make the conversation flow more organically and you should also say something like, let me tell you what's not on my resume. This will get your interviewer's attention and steer them away from mindlessly looking at your application. Of course, job interviews are challenged sometimes for both sides, both the person conducting the interview and the person being interviewed. Well, thank you very much for your time today. I hope you've enjoyed it. We've looked at a couple of uh, points there from Kylie Smiley about uh, customer loyalty programs and talked about the uh, ethics of some of the artificial intelligence that's happening at the moment. In a moment, Jane Klein will be back with you with more of your easy listening favourites. Next week, we'll have a minute on innovation with Christina and we'll have some more business and legal news and views that might affect your business. I'd love your company again for business, the law and you at the same time next week. Until then, have an exciting and prosperous week. And as W. Edwards Deming once said, profit in in business comes from repeat customers, customers that boast about your project or service and bring friends with them.